Welcome to another rousing episode of Vince and Jason Save the Nation. Thanks to all of you who have subscribed and those who have told your friends, those of you who have just subscribed, boy, you're really not pulling your weight. Uh, but we're glad you're here again. I am Vince Colonies with my buddy, Jason Nichols, talking about all the big issues of the day uh, in a way that does not sound at all like the corporate media. Uh, Jason, what do you got today, man? So recently, of course, uh, the big thing is the Senate and Joe Manchin and his refusal to end the filibuster and also uh, to support the For the People Act, SB1, uh, and Democrats, a lot of Democrats are really upset, although recently they've been changing their tone. Uh, he met with some civil rights leaders about voting rights, and it seems like they had a very good productive meeting in terms of letting things be known, and it was respectful, and it was a mm -hmm. good uh, exchange of ideas, but it didn't necessarily move Joe Manchin on uh, the substance of the, of the meeting. And right. that is voting rights. Now, so I wanted to like kind of ask your perspective on that and what you think about the filibuster and ending it. And yeah, uh, what do you think about Joe Manchin and, and the moves that he's making? Well, first on Joe Manchin, I, I want to say I was talking to some friends and they were telling me, you know, I think Jason Nichols is like the only Democrat who's willing to be a realist about Joe Manchin, because <laughs> right now what we hear from a lot on the, a lot of people on the left is like, Joe Manchin's being obstructionist. He's like joining the Republicans. This is disaster. Why won't he get out of the way? Why won't he support the agenda? And Jason Nichols, you've been telling me and saying to this audience, it's like, well, wait a second. Remember, Joe Manchin, like if Democrats want that Senate seat in West Virginia, they've got to settle for Joe Manchin. They're not going to get Bernie Sanders. They're not going to get they're not going to be able to get that much further to the left than Joe Manchin. Uh, so Joe Manchin is the best that Democrats can do. Um, but I, I think broadly, what's probably going on, Jason, is that you've got Democrats who are trying to pressure Manchin to fold on the filibuster and on uh, this HR1, SB1, calling, they're calling it the For the People Act, which is a, basically a way to federalize the election system. They want him to fold because they think that if he does, then that ensures long-term Democrat party wins. Uh, and then like, basically, he would be a human sacrifice for long-term power for the Democratic Party. And that's probably true, actually. If he did fold on this, it would disempower Joe Manchin, it would disempower Kirsten Sinema, and it would um, enable Democrats to win a lot more elections in perpetuity. That's what they think. Um, and, I, you know, I just, I got to say, I mean, I think, I don't, you and I haven't talked about this yet, so I'm glad we're talking about it now. This election bill is just an utter disaster for democracy uh, for a bunch of reasons. Among them is that it mandates states make their elections less secure across the board. Um, like, for instance, like states can't compare notes with other states to see if the same voter is registered. So like after when, when the election occurs, a state, you know, can't cr ask the state next to it, like, hey, do you have the same person registered in your state to vote? And did they vote? You're not allowed to do that. That, that would be banned by this law. Uh, it should it become a law. Um, you know, it bans voter ID. It basically says, you know, any state that would want to put voter ID in place, which is a really simple requirement, not in any way arduous for any voter in America to have to accomplish. Uh, but, you know, all of the kind of normal things that states have used to secure their elections, both blue and red states, the federal government would just take control of it. And uh, I don't think to the benefit of the country, it would be to the detriment of secure elections that enfranchise people. It would, the, the end result, it would be 
that it would disenfranchise voters by making the system more vulnerable to fraudulent and ineligible voting. And that's not a good thing. So there, there's there's a lot to talk about there. So first off, as far as Joe Manchin, let, let me just say, like, you know, it, it, politically, um, I think Joe Manchin really has no future. And um, in, in my opinion, from a political standpoint, as I know he is a conservative Democrat, he, I believe, votes with Republicans like almost 70% of the time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I guess it depends. It probably depends on the votes you're looking at, because the actual floor votes he's taken this entire presidency have all 100 percent been with Joe Biden. I have to. Well, how many floor votes have they actually gotten? It's a good. Uh, that's a great question. You know, like, because, I don't think that there have been many because of the fact that, uh, you know, you have an obstructionist who is the minority leader right now. But that but let me just continue. Okay. I will say politically, uh, Joe Manchin has a really tough uh, route forward. And he probably won't win in West Virginia in three years. I, I just, I really don't see that. Even though he is a conservative Democrat, he is the most conservative Democrat in uh, Congress. Number one, he still voted for impeachment in a state that Trump won by 39 points. Mm -hmm. You know, won in a landslide. It is literally the Trumpiest state in the country. And he voted for impeachment. Uh, I don't think even by doing these things that he's doing now that he's going to endear himself to the MAGA crowd or get like some sort of odd Democratic Trump uh, endorsement. And Democrats are not going to put resources into his reelection. That would be a silly. I would say it would be a waste of money. I would put my money uh, to make sure that people like Tammy Baldwin, who's going to be up for reelection when Joe Manchin is and Sherrod Brown and Amy Klobuchar, that they get reelected. And interestingly enough, I just want to go on a tangent really quickly. Right. I know anybody who's been watching us is like, Jason, tangent? Never. <laughs> um, Sherrod Brown, uh, senator from Ohio, uh, when I first saw his name, I'd never seen him before. And so when I saw that name, I read it the way many African-American people would read it. And that's, I called him Sherrod, uh-huh. Sherrod Brown. So I'm thinking, Sherrod Brown, that's got to be a black guy. <laughs> I was like, no way there's an old white guy named Sherrod Brown. But anyway, uh, so I wonder if, if I'm the only person who made that mistake <laughs> before they actually saw Sherrod Brown and thought his name was Sherrod Brown, which uh -huh. is not the blackest name you could ever come up with. <laughs> but at, at any rate. Um, they're going to put their research. I had a buddy, by the way, sorry, on, on a related note, I had a buddy who thought Merrick Garland was black. He thought just by looking at his name, he's like, is that a black guy? I don't know, man. Yeah, no, nah, nah. um, I, I can totally <laughs> see it. I mean, uh, what's the what's the guy who just retired? Lamar, um, Lamar Alexander. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> if you hear the name Lamar Alexander, do you think it's a, a like an old white guy? Which, by the way, um, this is the interesting thing about culture. Southern culture and Southern names, there's a lot of overlap between black and white. Right, right. I think, um, for, for example, I'm pretty sure in terms of the name Lamar, which I totally uh, associate with African-Americans, um, I'm pretty sure Newt Gingrich's middle name is Lamar. Huh. 
He's Newt Lamar. <laughs> how about that? Yeah, how about that? Um, but at, at any rate, uh, if Democrats <laughs> are smart, even if he were to vote with them on this, I would not put a ton of money into Joe Manchin. Can I ask I, why? Because like, I don't do you, think he has a chance in West Virginia. Uh, a Republican is going to win wait, in three wait. years in West Virginia. But of the, of the people who have a chance, wouldn't you say that he is the, the single Democrat who has the best chance of keeping that seat? He's got incumbency. He's got a track record of winning that seat a couple of times. Sure. He could do it again. So why wouldn't he be the best one? And when it comes to no, like he, putting money into races, you know, the Senate is split right now evenly, 50-50. Right. The, the Democrats are holding on by their nails right now. Why wouldn't they support even a guy like Joe Manchin? Like, I kind of think that well, Joe, Joe Manchin Joe is Manchin, one of so, the most powerful people in the country right now. As absolutely. A so what I would say is Joe Manchin, um, he's not running again in 2022. You know what I mean? I think he's 2024. Uh, so I, I would, again, if I'm Democrat, if I am, you know, uh, what's his name? He just ran for South Carolina, Jamie Harrison. If mm -hmm. I am the head of the Democratic Party and I'm I'm Jamie Harrison, right? I'm not putting money into elections. I think I'm going to lose. 2022 is really important. You got to win Toomey seat. You can flip Toomey seat. Very, I think that's very possible. You can you can flip Ron Johnson seat. You may even it'll be difficult, but you may even be able to flip Burr's seat in in North Carolina. Those are all really, really possible. Okay. And, and Ohio, um, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to some Ohio candidates like J.D. Vance at some point. But Ohio is even winnable with Portman's seat. Those so are what? all places. And of course, you have to maintain Kelly's seat. And gotcha. you have to maintain Warnock. I now, got all that. I got all that. But, those but are I tough. Just, I just want to know, why would, Manchin, why would Manchin folding right now improve the likeliness that he holds that seat and right. keeps Democrat, Democrats in the majority in the it, Senate, it, even in 2024. It doesn't. But what, I, what I'm saying is this. If they are, if Democrats are able to expand their lead by two or three seats, let's say they hold on to Warnock's seat in Georgia, they hold on to Kelly's seat in Arizona, yeah. and they win, uh, they win Toomey's seat, and they win Ron Johnson's seat in, in uh, Wisconsin. Okay. They they expand their lead. Joe Manchin becomes a whole lot less powerful and a whole lot less important. And what they could do, especially if Joe Manchin gets rid of the the filibuster with a little bit of a cushion, because I think Klobuchar is going to win again. I think Sherrod Brown's going to win again, and uh, I think Tammy Baldwin's going to win. So with that cushion that you have, then you can put some money into Joe Manchin, and maybe he'll pull it out. He probably won't. But I think also, if you're Joe Manchin, what I think some Democrats would say, and some, you know, I think my calculus is, go right. balls to the wall. Like, why are you trying to make friends on the right when they are going to take you out? Because I think the, the answer to this is really clear. It's entirely about him and West Virginia. Why would he give up his power position right now? Like, if he were to get rid of the filibuster, guess who becomes the most pointless senator in the entire United States Senate? There's two of them, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin. They go from the, the power brokers to the powerless, to the, to the rejects, to the guys that are like 
Who are they? They're not involved. Right mm-hmm. now, Joe Manchin can basically get what he wants. If if he wants West Virginia to look like the city from the, from the Jetsons, that can happen, right? Because he's got all of the leverage. Republicans and Democrats need him. And, you know, I, I'm kind of interested to see wh- where he is taking all of this because so you want uh, him to you want him to get a bunch of pork in these bills. No, and- I don't want him to. I don't want him to. I'm I, saying I, that I I'm saying that he's 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 in the driver's seat for that to happen right now. Because but nothing nothing happens if he keeps obstructing. You know what I mean? I, I just don't think it's like Dem- Republicans are not going to give him anything. I really don't believe. And I, I don't think uh, Democrats will be inclined to do it if he keeps obstructing. He no, but is this powerful. is that's his. I'm saying, Jason, his leverage is his obstruction. That's what I'm telling you. Sure, no, so I, I get he, that. If he if he gives that up, if he says, "Okay, fine, let's blow up the filibuster," he's not doing it unless he gets a giant payoff. That's what I'm saying. Now, let me just set aside the idea that he that this is a gigantic political play for that specifically. You know, it may just be a principled stand that he's taking and that his and when it comes to what his voters want and, and Kirsten Cinema for that point, for that matter, too. You know, at one point earlier this year, did you notice that Joe Manchin was kind of flirting with defanging the filibuster a bit, making it a little easier to establish uh, to, to, to stop a filibuster? And the way that he was flirting with it was basically saying instead of using this legislative filibuster, which basically means that voters don't get to see how the filibuster operates, it's just one senator raises an objection, the bill is dead uh, if you don't have 60 votes. He was suggesting earlier this year that maybe I'd be open to going to just a talking filibuster, the traditional Mr. Smith goes to Washington, you stand up on the floor until you exhaust your body of all of its energy uh, in order to try and stop a bill. Um, that he might be okay with that because that has like biological limitations and guys can't go forever. And eventually we could get this legislation, this legislation passed. But as soon as he even started toying with that within a second, he had backed off of it. He was like, actually, no, I'm not going to tr- do anything to weaken the filibuster. I just don't see it happening. And I'm a little, you know, I think it's funny, like how many, how, like he goes to work every day now in the Senate and reporters are like constantly harassing him about this. Are, when are you going to get rid of the filibuster? When are you going to get rid of the filibuster? He's like, how many times can I answer this question? I'm not doing it. And it only seems like his resolve is more hardened with each passing day. Yeah, I, I do think that that's uh, true. He, he does have a lot of resolve. I don't think it's based on principle. There's nothing in the Constitution about a filibuster. It's not part of the Constitution. We know the history with Aaron Burr. Um, and certainly... We know that the modern history since 1917 has been used in racist ways to disenfranchise Black people. And um, we it's know- been used, for, It's been used by both parties. of the time. And, and hold, on, hold on, let me yeah. finish, first of all. We don't want to get cable newsy here. Um, 50% of the time, it, it's been studied between uh, 1917 and 1994, uh-huh. the filibuster has been used to disenfranchise black people. And and what we're seeing in these voting bills across the country is it's making it harder for people to vote. And we can talk about, oh, well, that's a minor thing and that's a minor thing and you shouldn't be able to do this. And election security is the biggest, and I'm gonna quote, uh, you know, I'm gonna quote uh, the president of the United States, the biggest load of malarkey, uh, which I, I love the word malarkey, even though I never use it, Uh, is the biggest load of malarkey. First of all, the For the People Act has election security measures in it. Number two, we have had, and I've said this a couple of times, hold on, we have said, as I've said on this show, 
a, a couple of times that this past election in 2020 was the most secure in American history. And one of the things about the act that's so interesting that all of these people are opposing it, you know, is that it addresses things like partisan gerrymandering. That helps everybody. We need to get rid of partisan gerrymandering. There are times that partisan gerrymandering hurts Democrats. There's times when partisan gerrymandering hurts Republicans. You know, so we need to get rid of that. We need to make it easier to vote by allowing same day voter registration, which is in the can, For the People Act. Can I raise, we just need, because, because you're bringing up a lot of stuff, I just want to raise a point. Okay. I just want to raise a point about what you just said, if I can. I, actually, look, if you're working your way towards a specific point, go for it. I, but I, I did want to talk, as you bring each of these things up, uh, I'm interested in jumping in. But go ahead, go ahead, finish your thought. No, I, I you know, um, you know, the, and it's interesting to me that the people, the same people who are against waiting periods for guns, and anybody who knows me knows I'm pro-gun, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm also, you know, believe in sensible gun control, you know, a waiting period looking, you know, looking at someone's background, but the same people who are against waiting periods for guns are against same day voter registration, you know, which by the way, we can flag people, you know, you can do all of those things. And, you know, with all of this concern about voter registration, right. And about, election fraud and all these things that were just basically made up. We know it was completely made up. Texas uh, Attorney General Bill Paxton, right, spent 22,000 man hours looking for fraud and found 16 cases. None was serious enough to result in jail time. 16 cases, 22,000 man hours. And you know how many voters there are in Texas, registered voters? 17 million. So they went and literally, you know, went hard on this, trying to find this. And as a matter of fact, I think Bill Paxton in an interview uh, this week recently said that, hey, had I not limited some of these, uh, you know, these mail-in ballots and things like that, we would have lost Texas. He said the quiet part out loud. Ken Paxton? Ken Paxton, I'm sorry, Bill. Is Bill Paxton an actor? Uh, I'm not sure who Bill Paxton is. <laughs> I think there's Bill Paxton who's an actor. Ken uh -huh. Paxton. You know what I meant. But Texas Texas Attorney General Paxton. Sure. Yeah, I got you. Uh, so again, these what we're seeing with these bills to limit votes are just like that, you know, what we're seeing in Arizona with the fake cyber ninja uh, audit you know, when they've already audited those votes twice and they're making up things like, oh, you know, the databases have been deleted and it's not. All these kinds of things to rile up people, get people angry, you know, um, get people thinking, oh, our elections aren't secure, my vote didn't count, when none of that is true. And it should be that both parties want more people to vote. I mean, look, here's the thing. I just want every voter who is eligible to vote and should be eligible to vote to to be able to vote successfully and to make sure that their vote is documented. Um, there's there's a lot here. One, it's like the argument that like, well, because there wasn't enough fraud to overturn an election, 
then fraud doesn't matter. Of course, there wasn't any fraud. No, no, there were there were cases of fraud. There were cases of fraud documented nationwide. That's for sure. sure. But it was the most secure that we've ever had. That's okay. That that's a that's a line from who was that who who put out that line? That was the Krebs. um, Krebs. That's right. Krebs. Uh, Okay. Trump official. Okay. So when you first of all, it was the most insane election system we've had in a long time because of the pandemic, right? Because we had to create all sorts of um, exceptional ways for people to vote in, in light of the exceptional circumstances, uh, which makes a lot of sense naturally. But at the same time, like, let's just talk, think about some of the basics, like Georgia, which passed a voter law earlier this year, which was much maligned for zero reason whatsoever. It was wrongly accused of being like Jim Crow on steroids. You had, you had Joe Biden refer to it as like, you know, Jim Crow. It makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. He invented this like a new analogy on stage. It, it like did things like, first of all, expanded the number of days that you can vote in Georgia and, uh, and made, made it so there was more voting available on weekends. It also made it so that like in Georgia last election, what they were doing was they were having election workers do signature matching on ballots in order to establish whether or not this was actually the person who voted. And so you're leaving it to some person who's not a handwriting expert, who's like looking at the state filed signature versus the ballot signature, and then having to make a decision on whether or not to toss the ballot. And they were throwing thousands of people out on the basis of these signatures don't match to our satisfaction because it is that was what was required in the state. So what Republicans did in the state of Georgia was say, okay, forget the whole signature thing because that's insane. Why would we disenfranchise real voters if their signature changes? I don't know about you, Jason, but when I was 18 years old, my signature does not look like it did when I was 18. I was still trying to nail the cursive. I was trying to make it you know, perfect. Now I'm like, you know, it's just all over the place. So now what they do in Georgia is say, just write your driver's license number on the ballot and then it'll match up with your name in the system and you're good to go. Guess what that means? Fewer voters are disenfranchised. Like, who wouldn't want that system? That makes perfect sense. And I don't know why this is so controversial. Like, it, it should not be controversial to have a simple, easy to understand, and authentic system. And for Democrats in particular to come out and be like, boy, you know, this last election uh, went so well that we need to have a federal takeover of it. It doesn't it doesn't actually stand to reason. It doesn't make much sense. I mean, Democrats have the White House, the Senate, and the United States House of Representatives right now, mm-hmm. and they want to pass a law to change the way we do elections nationwide? Why? No, the reason they're doing that is because states are taking it upon themselves to weaken the opportunity for more people to vote. We actually, democracy won in 2020 because more people voted, even with a pandemic. More people cast ballots. And as a matter of fact, yes, you know, I, I think that's a win for democracy when more people are casting ballots. You have a secure election. Those are actually wins. We want that for, for the American people. That's not, and, I, and again, this is another thing that I find so curious about Republicans is instead of challenging for votes, they want to make it so fewer people can vote. And, and I, that's what I, I don't understand. So taking away you know, uh, the, the drop boxes, that was the big thing. You took away 75%, three quarters of the drop boxes in the Atlanta area, you know, in they order made- to make it harder for people to vote. And it's wait, pretty wait, clear wait. that way, let me just finish this point. Okay. Um, to, and it's clear when people said Jim Crow 2.0, it's clear why, because they made it based on, you know, by county, of course, 
Fulton County has far more people than whatever county, uh, you know, uh, MTG is from. You know what I mean? Fulton County has the most, has, is the most populous county. So if it has the same amount of drop boxes as some other county, you know, that has, that's, you know, some rural county. Yeah. More people are going to be disenfranchised. So wait a second, wait a second. On drop boxes. Who lives, hold on. It's pretty clear Mm -hmm. who lives in Fulton County and who they were trying to disenfranchise. But go ahead. So in 2016, there were no drop boxes in Georgia. Now there are permanently. And that's because Republicans in the state legislature just passed a law adding drop boxes to the state permanently for elections. So limiting them in the most populous county. They weren't, no, no, no. Limiting them from the time that from 2020, when drop boxes were added as a pandemic measure to ensure that in light of the way the virus was spreading, they wanted to make sure they have smaller crowds and then people could vote via Dropbox. It was, it was invented during the pandemic. Sure. So Republicans made it a permanent feature of elections in Georgia. I don't understand how that is making it so that fewer people can vote. Because you're taking them away in certain areas and not in others and making it so that only certain, uh, so that you have the same amount of drop boxes in an area that is uh, that has the, the biggest uh, population of people and you have like two or three drop boxes at the same as in some rural county. That doesn't make sense. And again, if it worked well during the pandemic, why won't it work well? Why do we want fewer people to vote? That's what I don't, that's what I'm not understanding. And, and when we say Jim Crow 2.0, I think a lot of people have this misunderstanding about how Jim Crow was on a lot of levels. You know, um, I think that in many ways we make Jim Crow seem as though, you know, uh, well, I I could go on for, for days about, you know, the misunderstandings of Jim Crow. But when we look at voting, and this is what Mitch McConnell said recently, Mitch McConnell, and he wasn't even talking about For the People Act. He was talking about the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Uh, which reestablishes parts of the Voting Rights Act that were destroyed by Shelby County versus Holder in 2013. Which, and, which it, uh, just to remind the listeners, I want to make sure I've got this right too. This is the pre-clearance requirement that that certain states need to have whatever changes in their laws um, that they decide to pass with regards to elections. They need to run it past the Justice Department. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Now. <clears throat> You know, particularly states that have a a um, a record of disenfranchising voters, um, and so with with that, you know, of course, you know, after Shelby County, um, I think it was sixteen hundred around sixteen hundred uh, polling places shut down throughout the South, uh, largely in African American and uh, other communities of color, but. So many people said, you know, they, that this was a measure to disenfranchise voters. And actually, the reason it's, it's named after John Lewis is because John Lewis was somebody who actually fought against that, who actually shed blood to try to, uh, to make it so that people could vote. Now, what Mitch McConnell said was you know, uh, we've already, we don't need the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, uh, you know, vote at, nor this for the People Act. And I'm, of course, summarizing what he said. Um, because 
it's already guaranteed that people can vote. You know, we've already got that. So we don't need, it's redundant. Mm -hmm. And my problem with that is this, the 15th and the 19th amendments guaranteed the right to vote for uh, all Americans, whether regardless of your race or your sex. If you were an American citizen after the 15th amendment in 1870, and then the 19th Amendment, 1920. Mm -hmm. All Americans can vote. But that's not how it functioned. That's why you needed a Voting Rights Act. That's why John Lewis bled all over the Edmund Pettus Bridge because it did not function that way. Right. And so when people say, you know, um, that this is Jim Crow 2.0, there was nothing in the old Jim Crow laws that were to uh, disenfranchise voters, that it said a black man can't vote. That, that wasn't there. I mean, they, had, they did have all white primaries, but those ended in 1944 in Texas. But other than that, there was nothing that said black people can't vote. What they did was poll taxes, mm -hmm. literacy tests. Right, but see, the, the comparison, I see what you're saying, Other in other measures, words, like, in other words, they created like they created creative workarounds in order they created to created obstacles to people voting in large in, number. There in were people to... who voted. There were black people who voted in the South. Yeah. For example, the, the area, you know, around Selma and Dallas County and, and those areas. Yeah, um, I got that. I got that. Know, but like, there were what... black people who voted. There just weren't a whole lot of them. And they couldn't, you know, sway or use their their uh, rights as citizens to sway elections and get represent representation that way they wanted. That's right. Voting, so so let me just let me jump in to say this. First of all, one of the mistakes I think that's often made, specifically on the left, is to pretend that all politics is the same as it was in 1964 or leading into the Civil Rights Act of 1964. It's not. America's changed a lot, a lot since then, especially um, as you get a younger generation who is uh, coming up, who's you know not interested or should not be interested in the racial politics of the past. Although I will argue that identity politics is is uh, growing out of control again in another way. Let's save that for a whole other episode. You and I could definitely <laughs> do that. Um, but then, then there's the point about, okay, what would you consider Jim Crow? So Jim Crow would be what you just described, I think rather well, creating obstacles for people on the basis of their skin color without doing it in, an, in, uh, in a way that is explicit and its goal in terms of its words, but is implicit to the point that it's almost explicit and what it's really trying to accomplish. I got that. But like requiring people to use a voter ID, this is one of those things that's been studied over and over. There is no, the, the voter ID proves no barrier to anybody on the basis of their race when it comes to voting. Yet every time it comes up, it's put out there like, oh, you know, this is just requiring voter ID is meant to keep black people from voting. That is, I think if, I guess absurd would, should be the word, on so many levels, it's, it's patronizing to black Americans that they can't get an ID. An ID is a very low threshold. Any state that has put this in place has said that if it's a matter of your economic ability to actually afford an ID, even though it's already at a low cost, that's fine. We will give it to you for free in order for you to fulfill that requirement. And just showing an ID to prove that you are the person who you say you are is a way to actually protect that that vote is associated with you. It's a way to protect your vote, meaning the person who's holding that ID uh, and not um, designed in order to keep you from voting. It's actually to make sure that nobody can do it in your stead. 
Um, I, I just, what I want is like, I guess what I want is this. I just want like a reasonable debate around these issues. Like if there's like, you know, a mountain of evidence that shows that black people are particularly disenfranchised by voter ID and that these laws are only designed to keep them from voting. Like I'm, I'm all ears. I want to see that evidence, but every time it's been studied, it's come out the opposite that no, it's not actually, it doesn't stop anybody. And every time voter ID is established, voting patterns are still only going up, including among black Americans. Yeah. So voter ID is actually, um, you know, it, it is, uh, you know, states, some states have put in measures in terms of, of how to afford it. There are people uh, who, who don't sometimes don't have valid IDs. There were many, first of all, when you look at the, the first iterations of voter ID, it was clear that it was meant to disenfranchise black people. That's not even, now I think we've evolved. I think voter ID, uh, the voter ID discussion has evolved. Um, you know, they wouldn't take expired IDs or, or things like that, um, which again, people in urban areas don't need a driver's license, for example. Um, so again, that disenfranchises, uh, you know, a lot of people who live in urban areas. One of the things that we saw, for example, in Louisiana with um, Katrina was people were like, why didn't they just leave? They got the evacuation order. Why didn't they leave? And the point was, in those areas, two thirds of the people in, in the lower ninth ward could not and did not drive. So point being, there are people who are, you know, as we're trying to reenfranchise felons, some of them don't have valid IDs. You know, there are many uh, discussions about, you know, uh, who this will disenfranchise. And many times it is people of color. Now, is it a large number? You know, I think you're right that um, it has been uh, it has been fixed in the sense that it it's not quite as explicit as the early uh, the early voter ID where you could use your your concealed carry license, for example, in Texas as a voter ID, mm -hmm. um, but you couldn't use a jail ID. You couldn't use you know you couldn't use certain other uh, forms of ID that were more likely uh, to be had by people of color. Um, but I think we're, we're, we are in a different place with voter ID. But my thing is why fix a, a problem that doesn't exist? If, we're, if we don't have fraud, like I said, with Texas, mm -hmm. where you spend all of that money, all of those man hours looking for fraud, you find 16 cases, none of them are serious enough out of 17 million. I don't know what percentage that is, but it's it's not a whole lot. I don't know how many point zero zero zeros that is, but it's a lot. Now, 17 million voters, you find 16 cases, and none of them were serious enough yeah. to warrant jail time. In many so, cases, it was you know issues with an address. Remember, there was a um, there was a campaign in North Carolina in 2018 where a Republican political operative was caught tampering with ballots uh, and committing wide scale fraud. And then they had I believe they had to have another election as a result of all of the ballot tampering that was going on there. And, you know, and the left, of course, pointed at the time, they're like, well, look at this, like you're not finding all the fraud on the left. But look, there's a Republican guy committing fraud. And I always wondered after, in the wake of that story, I'm like, well, why? 
why wouldn't you then become interested in securing elections as a result of seeing like an actual case of fraud going on? Like who, who wants that? Like, why would you want to support that? No, I agree. We need to secure our elections. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd have to, <clears throat> what I'm saying is um, that this last election was the most secure. <laughs> like it was actually secure. They trust me, they've gone to court the Trump administration went to court 60 plus times, could not find anything that showed widespread voter fraud. Yeah, there's another, there's another. Here and there, when you have 165 million people voting, yes, there's somebody like the guy in Pennsylvania, the one guy in Pennsylvania, I believe, who uh, voted for his dead mother for President Trump. There are going to be those cases when you have, I, I don't think you will ever find anything that involves 165 million people and there won't be any cases of fraud. That's like, that's impossible. Doesn't matter how many voter laws you do, somebody's going to try to break the rules. Right, but if- first. But, but like, if it's statistically nil, yes. then why are we trying to fix something that's not broken? Because like, for instance, and it's not just fraud, it's about eligibility too. So like I said, in Georgia, there were thousands of votes that were thrown for failure to signature match and they were thrown out. That shouldn't have happened especially if all those votes. Now, if they weren't legitimate votes, then fine, it should have happened. But my guess is a, a healthy percentage of those votes were legitimate voters whose signature just did not match the one that was inside of their system. That's not a good system. That's not. So you should figure out a way to ensure that that's actually the voter. So the idea of having somebody write their driver's license number on there, that's a good system. And I don't really see why the federal government, I know the federal government should not be involved in trying to strip away a protection like that For, because that will these, disenfranchise again, those voters. The, the, the um, For the People Act deals specifically with federal elections. So the federal government does have jurisdiction over federal elections. It has nothing to do with if you're running for county school board or, or even state senate, you know, then, hey, and you're, you're you know, these laws and these rules, you can make whatever laws and rules you want. But this act has to, and this is what people don't understand, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. I'm totally glad you brought that up because it has to do with federal elections. Right. Which the federal government should have jurisdiction over. Well, the constitution has, uh, has two parts to its elections uh, prescriptions. One is that the way that an election should be set up should be set by the state legislatures. But it does say if the Congress wants to create a federal law related to all of this, it can. Uh, so, so you're right, the feds can get involved where they want to, um, but, the, but the, the standard in the United States for hundreds of years has been states administer their own elections, uh, including for the representatives that they send to the federal government. So the United States Senate, as you know, up until it was changed by the 17th Amendment, it was much more of a state-based thing where they decided as a state legislature who they were going to send to represent them in the United States Senate. And then they eventually turned it into a direct election of those United States senators. But the point is that each of these people are meant to represent either the district that they come from or the state as a whole when it comes to the United States Senate. So it's not insane to think that much of that would be left, if not entirely, left to those states to choose how to, in terms of how they construct a system that chooses who represents them in the federal government. 
So I think so, there's an argument that the states do have a, a, a real vested interest in keeping control of their electoral process. So um, here's the thing. And again, um, this is, it, it kind of relates a little bit to, to why people call it uh, Jim Crow 2.0. And, and I understand you got to go. So I'll, I'll just make this real quick point. Right and on. that is that it's really interesting that people are still making the state's rights arguments. You know what I mean? The federal government should not get involved, that these are states' rights. And that is the exact same argument that people made during Jim Crow. That was, that was the whole purpose, was states' rights, states' rights, states' rights. The federal government should not get involved, even though <clears throat> you know, civil rights leaders are concerned about how this is gonna affect certain populations, that we're gonna actually go back to fewer Americans voting, which I, I think was always something that both people on the left and the right have complained about is Americans aren't that concerned. Americans aren't, you know, casting ballots. You know, we're, we're, empath uh, we're apathetic, excuse me, um, about our, our government. And I think right now, one thing I will say for two, our two last presidents, Trump and Obama, right. is that more people are engaged in, in how our federal government and how our government works. That's for sure. And I think that, that that's actually a good thing that came out of both presidencies. Um, and so, again, you know, in terms of, of the filibuster, just kind of coming full circle, um, in terms of the filibuster, I think it does also, in, in some ways, disenfranchise voters. Voters are the ones who cast ballots for their elected officials to go to the Senate. Right. And, you know, the majority, you know, should win. That's the way, you know, things work. Even I got though I you're, you're right that I do have to run, but I want to say one last point on the filibuster. Uh, I think that senators, even in the majority, won't admit this out loud, but they like the filibuster because it keeps them from taking uncomfortable votes. They love having, having the minority block a vote that they don't want to have to take. Uh, so there is that part too, and nobody ever talks about that. But that's a that's a real thing. I, I agree with you there. We agree. Yeah. I, I love that we're ending on a yeah. on an agreement. You know what <laughs> I mean? This was probably I would say probably the uh, the the show where we probably had the fiercest disagreement that we've had thus far. I think. But well, that's uh, pretty it, good. But again, you know, this is what's so awesome about Vincent Jason Save the Nation is that we sit here. Uh, we we can fiercely disagree, For sure. but um, I meant to tell you, uh, I'm having a little get together this weekend, so your family is certainly welcome. Good man, come through. Bring your bring your daughter. It's gonna be a bunch of kids here, um, and I need somebody to vent to while my kids do all kinds of dangerous things. So <laughs> right on. Definitely. For you all, you are not invited to my house, but you are invited to my show. So uh. like, subscribe. <laughs> Uh, listen to the the audio version. Listen to it on your way to work, and say how much you hate Jason Nichols. I, you know it's all good. Um, we all want. We all have the same ultimate goal. I hope, right. which is a stronger and better America. That's why we're here to save the nation. Vince, love you. See you hopefully this weekend. Uh, Thanks, best Jason. of luck selling your house and everything that's going on with that. <laughs> Thanks, man. Peace out, guys. All right, see you.